You can listen to all episodes of Leonard ad-free on Wondry Plus. Join Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or on Apple Podcasts. He behaved very badly. Bobby. And I was so angry with him about it that we we never we didn't speak for 10 years and when it, it went to Sundance and he wouldn't let me go with it. <laughs> Well, I liked him. I mean, I thought he was all right. He's, you know, a bit precious and all that. This is the noted English filmmaker Michael Apted talking about Robert Redford, who produced his seminal Peltier documentary, Incident at Oglala, in the early 90s. It was very disturbing because I was shocked, you know, when he started trying to, well, he succeeded in, you know, you know, editing the Messing film. Messing with your cut, right? Yeah. yeah. Why did he want it out? Just because he was afraid of the... Well, he, yeah, he didn't want to, obviously. I mean, he, he just didn't want to be in any trouble with um, the powers that be, which, if you're Robert Redford, sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? He is a power that be. It's bigger than them. But it was, it was so disappointing because I was so thrilled to get that interview because they were very clear, these two guys. You know, I mean, you could use this. I mean, I don't care. I don't, I don't want to abuse... Redford in because we sort of made it up but it was it was really disappointing you know he was he was never really in it I, th- I, I think that he always thought he was guilty that he didn't un- share our enthusiasm for thinking it was you know set up you're listening to Leonard a new podcast series about one of America's longest serving political prisoners Leonard Peltier. I'm Andrew Fuller. And I'm Rory Owen Delaney. We've spent the last year working to share Leonard's story with a new generation of people. Who he is, how he ended up behind bars, and why we believe he deserves to go free. In this bonus episode, Michael Apted opens up about creative differences with producer Robert Redford over the editing of Incident at Ogallala. Differences that compromise the documentary in the eyes of its director. Well, we're off to see Michael Apted. Long time coming. This has been in the works for months. He was in England working on the new 7-Up. Whichever iteration he's on, he's on 63 and up or something crazy by now, I would guess. As luck would have it, Michael was in Los Angeles after finishing the London post-production on 63 Up, the final installment of his epic, award-winning television documentary series, Up. The first installment, 7 Up, came out in 1964. And we are on our way to his condo. Rory is behind the wheel. I'm riding shotgun. Has Leonard emailed anymore? I haven't checked my email since we last sent him that note. Because you don't get that through to your regular email. You no. have to actually go on the server. Yeah, you have to log on to this core links thing. <clears throat> but I'll check it. We'll check it today. Send him an update. I wonder when the last time he talked to Leonard and all that was. It must have been probably in the 90s, yeah. right? Sounded like it had been a while. I meant to reread Leonard's letter, but I printed it out at least. funny apted as I was reading his Wikipedia and they were saying most of his feature films had female leads and that was like 
revolutionary. Yeah. Oh, he's so ahead of his time. I right. mean, because now everything's female leads, and everybody mm-hmm. wants the female leads. Coal miner's daughter. Yeah, that was. Coal miner's daughter. Gorillas in the mist. That was yeah. one of my favorite movies oh, growing up. Dang it! I was gonna rewatch that. Um, that's just a great movie. And then he directed Jodie Foster again in Nell. James Bond, The World Is Not Enough, also ranks among apted 78 directing credits on IMDb. Michael also served as the president of the Directors Guild of America. So no pressure. All right, we are 10,000 feet from Sunset Boulevard. We're on the PCH, some people surfing. And uh, we're getting close here. 0.8 miles. That'll be one of these. To Afters. Now where? Mm-hmm. 0.7 miles. Just winding up sunset up this hill here. Wind up. Oh, shoot. We missed it. We're here. There should be a guard, they said. Doesn't seem correct. None of this looks Afters worthy. It should be right up here on the right. What the hell? I hate waves. We have to switch to goobs. In 500 feet, make a U-turn. Oh, there's like no way to turn here either. <laughs> this is the worst place to do a U-turn. Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> on the side of a hill. It's gotta be one of these here. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. That was like the most delayed horn of all time, by the all way. Right. We're off sunset now, aren't This we? looks more likely. Must be this tall one. That's it. Yeah, that's got to be it. That's it. Hi, good morning. Hey, how are you? Good to yourselves? Pretty good. good. We're here to see uh, Michael Apton. Oh, okay. Let me give you a part. Thank you. It's quite a little complex. It's bigger than I thought it was. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, this is... I'm, I'm kind of like... I'm a little nervous. I'm not nervous, but... Well, you should be a little bit. I'm, well, yeah, I'm, I'm excited though. It's like dead. it's like excited Oops. nervousness. Yeah, yeah. Just to hear what he says. I mean, I guess I was a little nervous too, because within five minutes of meeting Mr. Apted, I had accidentally trod upon one of his dog's paws while setting up for the interview. Can I get my headphones now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, who's that? Who's that? Who started this? Rory. Rory. Rory can't be trusted. He's going to set him off. Hey. Yeah, it's okay. I'm sorry. We okay now? He said a $50 note wouldn't be a bad idea. Did you see him in prison? I've not seen him yet. Charlie, shut up. No, I'm not, I'm not. If they start up again, I'll move them into the back room. But usually, unless someone foolish kicks them in the head. You have a nice little Yes. That was well played by me. That kick move. That always wins them over. <laughs> Calling for uh, help. <laughs> it's a great apartment. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Yeah, great view. My wife is in London, I don't Michael was occupying a penthouse suite with ocean views 
in the hills of Pacific Palisades, an exclusive neighborhood in Los Angeles, located just off of Sunset Boulevard and the Pacific Coast Highway, near Malibu. Spend most of your time in London? I came to America to do um, Coal Miner's Daughter. Right, sure. And that, that really got me going straight away. Yeah. And I stayed and did some American movies, but I brought the family, as then was, um, over here. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I got citizenship fairly early. I mean, it was always... This was one of my favorite movies growing right. up. Yeah, I cried so much <laughs> in that movie. <laughs> I didn't do anything mean. I didn't have them... Oh, it was just... No, it was just so, it's so devastating, that, yeah. you know, what happened to her. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the truth of the matter is, I think, is that they had to get rid of her. She was destroying the truth. Yeah. All they had was the gorillas. Gorillas in the Mist tells the true story of naturalist Diane Fossey and her work in Rwanda with mountain gorillas. The movie was nominated for five Academy Awards in 1988. You know, she got Barmia and Barmia. Yeah. But what a life. You know, I mean, she really did give her life to them. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. How old is he now? He's going to be 75 in September. This interview was recorded in May 2019. Leonard is 76 years old now. Well, how's his health? It's not very good. He's got some spots on his lungs now. Uh, and then he's got some sort of blockage in one of his arteries. And they won't give him surgery until it reaches a certain threshold, essentially. So he's very worried about you know, having something go wrong and, and it's, you know, there won't be enough time to get him to the hospital. He likes being alive. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, what do you think how long he's been in prison? It's unimaginable, isn't it? Yeah. That's what he Probably says. before you were born, isn't it? Yeah. 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 He was uh, imprisoned in the 70s. I was born not until 1981. I was eight. Yeah. So. That's yeah. pretty sobering thought, isn't it? Right. That was sort of one of the reasons we got interested in the project, especially with Trump and, and the sort of the, the FBI shenanigans and, you know, even Jared Kushner and, and Kardashian sort of getting involved with helping Prisoners. people get out of prison. Honestly, it seems like from talking to his lawyers, <laughs> yeah. his most likely chance of getting out is from a presidential pardon from Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Frightening thought if, to people like us if he actually got him out, wouldn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> What yep. would we do? We don't have to kill ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrific idea. <laughs> oh, sorry, boys. It's, well, I'm, we're being a bit hysterical here. Sorry. Yeah. I feel your pain. Yeah. <laughs> what what we, would be a brilliant thing for him to do, wouldn't it? <clears throat> yeah. I suppose yeah. 98% of his followers would think he'd gone barmy. But um, it would be a very skillful way to... Make us think twice, wouldn't it? Did yeah. you meet any of his lawyers? Uh, uh, Leonard's lawyers? Yeah. We've spoken to a couple on the phone, but we haven't met any. No, I got quite close with one of them, I can't remember which one it was. He'll be in the book. Is it Bruce Allison? Yes, yeah, Bruce, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's still, he's still there. speaking, yeah. <clears throat> when was I doing this? In 19, did you say 81 or no? 92. 92, Na- yeah. So he's probably changed out of all recognition. <laughs> he's still got a ponytail. Has he? <laughs> yeah. Bless his heart. <laughs> no, he was, he was a good guy. I mean, he certainly didn't 
you know, <clears throat> he was not half-baked about it. I mean, he really got stuck into it. <clears throat> and, you know, I suppose they did put themselves at some danger, too. Bruce Ellison was Leonard's attorney for decades and featured heavily both in Peter Matheson's book In the Spirit of Crazy Horse and Apted's documentary Incident at Ogallala. We'll hear from Bruce in season two of the podcast. Have you spent a lot of time down there? In Florida? No, I mean in, in where it all happened. I actually have not, we have not been yet, so I think that's probably a worthwhile trip to do. This was before we made our pilgrimage to South Dakota at the invitation of Edgar Bearrunner. To call it a worthwhile experience is an understatement. If we hadn't made the spur-of-the-moment trip in August 2019, this podcast would have been grounded until the pandemic lifts. Whatever the fuck that is. You went to the Pine Ridge uh, Reservation to shoot. Oh, yeah. Shot in all the places it happened. But we were still... 15 years late, we were hardly on the, on, the, on the site and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, there were some nasty people, but, I mean, you did sort of know it. I mean, I don't say they're nasty people, period, but on this issue, people won't be moved about it. They either believe he's innocent and was set up, or they believe, you know, he was a thug. But, uh, you know, they, they were very open about it. <clears throat> you know, because, I mean, the harassment had finished. I mean, the, the cops weren't... Dick Wilson was dead, right? Yeah. Which prison have, did you see him in? He's in Coleman Prison right now, which is oh. outside of Orlando. Oh. And I believe you were in Leavenworth, was that? Yes, Leavenworth, which is notorious. I mean, a lot of very bad people are there, aren't they? Some of Leavenworth's past inmates include Machine Gun Kelly, Anthony Tony Ducks Corallo, Tom Pendergast, James Earl Ray, Whitey Bulger Jr., and Michael Vick. And they, they treated us pretty well in the, in, in the prison. They didn't, they didn't, they weren't all over us. I'm, I'm sure there was always someone around, but they weren't obtrusive. I don't know. Was, I, I, I didn't. I can't recall any tremendous supervision of it. I mean, I'm sure there was always somewhere in the room, but you didn't feel they were saying you can't ask that question or doom, doom, doom. It sort of slightly surprised me, but you right. know, they let us do our business. Did you go in as like media or? No, we went in as what we were, that we were making a film about it. Right. I think Coleman is supposed to be, the warden is supposed to be more draconian. I think that's part of the reason why they sent him down there was, um, I know he... In Florida. Yeah, farther away from all his family. He's from North Dakota, so he wants to be transferred somewhere closer, but they've got him just Shanghai down in in Florida. Have you ever got the feeling that you are being watched? Actually, remember when we were driving home and that weird car pulled up right next to me and you were like, what is that? He doesn't remember, but I got paranoid that it was the FBI because we had just come from Kathy's right. on the 101 and this weird car pulls up next to me with a guy in it. I didn't look. You got a better look at them because I was driving. But I just saw and they were looking over at us and they were like 
perfectly parallel to us. It was just weird. Right. Oh, I do remember and you that. Said, oh, yeah, maybe they I think you're famous that. or something. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> well, in LA, everybody thinks everybody's famous. Right. You know? I don't think we've been at it long enough to ruffle any feathers, and that was before Leonard had called you. But maybe. Well, Kathy says they watch her. Do they? Kathy Peltier is one of Leonard's daughters. She lives in LA. She was the first person we interviewed for the podcast. She says that she sees, you know, every now and then there'll be an unmarked car following her, her and her mom. Uh, so I wouldn't put it past, I wouldn't eliminate it. But these guys have anything else to do. I, tried, I got, a, got a letter from him, which you should probably look at. Yeah. They sent it to it. Oh, they right. were the ones that forwarded it. Oh. Yeah, I have it right here. <laughs> the other voice is Michael's assistant. And what I had right there was a printout of the email Leonard sent for Michael. Peter Coyote reads for Leonard once again. From Leonard Peltier, 89637132, 5-5-2019-909-56pm, subject, R.E. Michael Apted, message. Hey, hello Michael, it's been a while. Please accept my apologies for not keeping in touch. I feel like a heel now for not doing so and wish I could make it up somehow. I don't really know why I haven't. It wasn't anything personal, or I was ungrateful for your efforts to help me. Also for not keeping in touch with Robert. I always believed I would not be in here this long. I was so certain someone in the DOJ, judge, etc. would correct what they did, and I could then go to you and tell you my appreciation in person. What a fool I was for even hoping for this, let alone thinking and praying for this to happen. But here I am with not a minute that goes by, and I'm still dreaming and hoping. But now it's just so I can go home to die, at least to say goodbye to my family and peoples. Michael studied Leonard's email with consternation. So he could write this to me and they wouldn't you know, change it or anything like that? I don't think so. They're not supposed to. Um, They're not? Yeah. He said that if you give him uh, your address and your phone number, he can add you uh, and he could call you or he could email through this core link system. Sure. But I know he he decided to hear that we were coming to talk to you. Good, yeah. He did randomly call last Sunday, not this previous Sunday, because I'd sent them my information. And so then, of course, I'm getting ready to go to my father-in-law's 70th right. uh, birthday party, and the phone's ringing. <laughs> of course, it was Leonard. Um, so I did get to talk to him for about 15 minutes. And then, oh, good. How did he sound? He sounded actually pretty pretty well. Sounded better right. than I thought he was going to sound. Yeah. Um, he was excited to speak to us, and you know, obviously, he was pretty, you know, fired up about yeah, the situation. There's still that feeling of. Desperation, I think. Yeah. Well, it's in here too, isn't it? Michael reviewed the second page of the email. From Leonard Peltier, 9.21.13 p.m. Subject, damn it, pushed the wrong button. Message, sorry, Michael, but I accidentally pushed the send button. I don't know why I've had to live this kind of life or go through it. In the beginning, I did not want any more than to just have a decent job, a good wife, and raise a family, just to forget the treatment I had to go through in this life. 
then I seen it wasn't just me, but all natives had to go through the same thing, in many cases worse. Now, native women, children, elders, or defenseless men were so abused and beaten to death. The guilty party not going to jail or a very light sentence. Nevertheless, we and some of my friends have not given up, and they promised me to stay until the end, so I also have to stay strong and continue the fight. But Michael, I need some help, and with your skills you can help a lot. Also, if you can, would you contact Robert R. and see if he can help us somehow? I hope so, as time is running by fast. Please let me know either way through Rory. Thanks, brother. Please tell Robert I send my greetings and love. Doksha, LP. As Michael read the letter to himself, we could only imagine the thoughts running through his head. Hmm. It's hard to know what to do, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is hard. Yeah. Rather than, you know, building up expectations and then not being able to deliver anything. Must be frightening. Hmm. I always felt bad and I could never really do anything about it. Do you remember the last time you, your last interaction with Leonard? Was it just that day? You know, I only ever met him once, yeah. But then we, we, I've had one or two correspondence, but I think he gave up on me. You know, he, uh, since I wasn't, you know, part of the culture or anything, probably thought I was just a homosexual Englishman. As it were, um, probably you probably think I'm all these dogs around. <laughs> I think he said something in his letter, though. Actually, he said he was sorry that he hadn't kept up with you more. Yeah, well, it's really me to keep up to him. After the break, we dig into what exactly went down between Michael Apted and Robert Redford. Hi, this is Eugene Braverock, and you're listening to Leonard, a podcast series about America's longest-serving political prisoner, Leonard Peltier. Tobacco down and prayers up for the human being who truly shown me what it is to be relentless in spirit, to never give up. Power and prayers to the man paying the price of the crime of being indigenous in the 20th and 21st century. People, lend your voices. Let's be heard. End the injustice. Free Leonard. How did you decide to make the film? Um, I can never, I get confused. I never, I don't know which came first, um, Thunderheart or that. Michael made an incident at Oglala in 1991, the same year that he directed Thunderheart, starring Val Kilmer, Sam Shepard, Graham Greene, and John Trudell. What makes you such a threat? We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth. 
It's about power. Raid. Go get him up, Jimmy. That's John Trudell playing Jimmy Looks Twice, an Indian activist suspected of murder in the film inspired by the real-life events surrounding Leonard Peltier. In the scene, Jimmy is talking to the character of Ray Lavoie, played by actor Val Kilmer, an FBI agent with Sue Heritage investigating the homicide of Leo Fastelk, a tribal council member of the fictitious Bear Creek Reservation. Thunderheart was shot primarily on location in South Dakota and included specific sets on the Pine Ridge Reservation. When did I do it? Do you know? You came out in 92. So it was at least 10, 15 years late. I mean, but but when I I went there, I did two of the two films together, um, Thunderheart and that. Uh, You know, it created serious difficulties with me with me having done Thunderheart you know because a lot of them felt that you know that he was guilty and all this and they gave me quite a hard time you know they weren't open as they were about their subject but they weren't that didn't really like talking about uh, Leonard which was a pity because I think they could have told me more but they sort of didn't trust me because I was going from side to side, I suppose. But um, As you do as a documentary filmmaker. Well, sort of, yeah. And it was scary, too. I mean, you know, it's still... I mean, it, it was 25 years after the troubles, you know, but it was still very much alive there. You know, the, the war was still going on between... Right. Did you ever get any sort of threats or feel threatened? Oh, yeah, we did get told to push on and get out of here and all that. And it was a bit frightening sometimes. It was, it was, it was complicated because I was sort of, I think I was sort of doing them both at least within the same half year. You know, it wasn't one was like 10 years after. And so I, I was out there doing this film and doing Thunderheart and you know a lot of people were sort of aware of both and who is he what sign is he going to try and say that uh, that uh, Peltier was set up by the whole thing or is he am I you know a, a, a serious supporter of the Indian movement and sympathetic to the you know and it was it was it was an interesting experience to do. I mean, this is you may not want to hear this, but uh, it was an interesting experience to do simul- almost simultaneously a film and a documentary about the same subject. It t- t- taught you a lot about what you could do in a documentary and what you can't do in a documentary, and vice versa. You know, it was it was kind of, and they both they both informed the other, as it were. You know, you couldn't cut your brain in half, and this is the <laughs> Peltier brain, and this is the you know the other one. But it was it was a remarkable experience, but it, it caused us a lot of fear and loathing. I mean, you know, you know, when especially when the other side of the you know of the Indian movement, when we were dealing with them. You know, who were some of whom were convinced that uh, Peltier was a maniac and all that kind right. of stuff. I mean, it was pretty tense with them. And the 
the goon squad yeah all that i mean you saw some of the remnants of it i mean it, was, it wasn't anywhere near any as full as it was in his time but um it was still pretty scary and i mean i still think there's quite a residue of it still there's still a lot of ill feeling on all that you know and, and the, you know the, the the other side they were horrible you know the people the half white men and all that you know the politicians and all this they were horrible whereas the, the native americans were not you know, the native... They just wanted to live on their land in peace. Yeah. So it was a very confusing and difficult, but one of the you know richest times I had, just comparing the two in, in, in a... You know, in, in the way you approach a documentary and the way you do a fictional film, that was very, very interesting and what you could do and how you could mix them and all that kind of stuff. Because that came to me as a script by... De Niro. Not De Niro, no. The, who was the writer who's very knowledgeable about all this? Fusco. What? John Fusco. John Fusco. Have you ever been in touch with him? Mm-hmm. Well, he's probably the most prolific and educated American screenwriter about Indian movements. And, you know, I mean, I think he is become Indian in a sense. I mean, he's not. He's probably from you know, somewhere, but not there. But, I mean, it's been one of his life's things. And he's a, he's a good writer, and he'd be worth talking to if, if you're going to sort of yeah. deal with the film a bit. Because I think it was his idea. He took the idea to Redford. Um, you know, cause Redford so Redford was involved with both the scripted and... Uh, no, no, he no. wasn't. He was only he wasn't interested in the scripted one. Just the documentary. Just in the documentary. And then, as it turned out, in, in in a rather kind of minimal way, he kept away from it all. He never showed up or anything. And you know, I just thought this was just going to be your usual um, famous producer getting his name on it. But then he started digging into the cut and digging into some of the more difficult areas. It, it really, I think it ruined the film. I think that, that, that little section with those two judges was very powerful because they had no, you know, they, they, they weren't involved in it at all personally. But nonetheless, as the judiciary, they were involved in it. You know, if they were, had thought that the judiciary had behaved badly, which they did. That was a real shock. That was, that was really the best thing in the film. Michael corresponded with Redford over facts regarding their creative differences about the documentary. The back and forth is remarkable. But it was, it was I was really disappointed with this because of Redford. You know, that I, I think what the, we had stuff that was really powerful that he would not let me use and that he wouldn't let me go to Sundance in case I um, spat, spat it out, which I would have done. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> well, that's kind of what, what Sundance it? is about, uh, isn't it? What, what was it? I mean... Oh, it was these uh, high court judges saying it was a, the trial was very badly handled and it wasn't a fair trial. Right. And it's one thing when a load of Indians say that, but when two judges on the circuit say that, it's a little bit different. 
Yeah. And he just didn't want to include that in the no, late yeah, night. No, he didn't want to annoy the, you know, the uh, powers that be. It was really strange, because I thought it was the, the most interesting part of the film. I and mean, it wasn't the biggest part of the film. Probably wasn't more than five, ten minutes long, but it was so fucking powerful and so believable. These judges, you know, had were in, in the circuit and all this kind of stuff. They knew what was going on, and they were pretty pissed off with it. The, the fact that, you know, it had happened, that the miscarriage of justice had happened, and then, you know, we were going to screw up by not playing it. But Redford was horrible about it. Uh, he insisted we took it out. Really? And just that one, one item, really, which was incredibly powerful, I thought. Because he was the producer. It was so complicated, the whole thing, with so many people and so much, you know, politics involved in it all. And but, so do you, do you still have an archive of any of your old footage or...? Uh... Well, not footage, but I, I do have... Um, I've got a lot of paperwork. I, I didn't get rid of it, did I? No, we've got the transcripts and stuff. Yeah, I've got all the interviews I did with him. If that's of any value to you. Um, you know, because I did keep a lot of stuff, a, a lot of kind of, uh, not to you, but to most people, tedious stuff, but... No, I mean, we're dying from <coughs> Yeah, no, no, I know. <laughs> Because we have got so much stuff over this, the 20, 30 years, I, 40 years I've been here. Um, but I could certainly dig that out. There's quite a lot of it. it, it it's, the, it's, you know, it, it is the interviews I did with him. Because he was pretty open. The upper one. I'll go and get it out for you. Well, thank you. That would be you, you, live, you live here, don't you? Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, we're here. I seem to have retired, so I'll go and have a look for it immediately. Wow, that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah we'd love to. Because I always wanted to keep it, because I thought, I wonder how this could ever be used. Because we only used a tiny bit, again, I think, probably thanks to Redford. Yeah, the stuff from the judges. Yeah, you know. yeah. Well, that, might, that was awful. Might be amazing. Because that was the, I don't, I don't know um, <clears throat> where that would be. Sure. But uh, I don't mind going into it again, having a look at stuff or getting stuff out here for you to look at. But I did keep a lot of material on that. I mean, they were very good to me, the, the, the Indian movement. You know, they all showed up in the film. I mean, <clears throat> if Nixon had been the president, they would have probably been arrested for passing around all these lies and, and whatever against the government. So shall I look out my, my, more of my transcripts? Yeah, that, that would, would be, be amazing. amazing. Yeah. yeah, that would be, That'd be great. Because I see them up there uh, in the thing, I think, what am I, could I, could I, I ever do with it? Because I'm never going to write a book about it. You know, I didn't, didn't know enough. Um, I was 15 years behind it all. But I will get in ASAP. I'm not doing much at the moment. And uh, you can take it off and have a look at it. That would be great. Yeah. yeah, you can you know copy awesome. as any 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 of it you like.
There's a lot of it. Shit. <laughs> anyway, we'll dig it out. Cool. Yeah, that'll be great. Hopefully the next co couple of days, and yeah. you, know, you can take it off and have a look at it. I mean, you can pr print any of it. You can, do, you know, it's, a, it's our property. <clears throat> it's the film company's property. Right, sure, great. Mr. Sure. Redford's property. So he can go <laughs> himself. <laughs> Strange man. A couple days later, true to his word, Michael invited us over to collect the files. He met me in the lobby of his building. Where is your vehicle? Uh, just right up there, top of those yellow steps. Should I bring it down here or? Michael drove me up a little hill to my car and visitor parking. Well, thanks for digging this out. Well, not at all. It's, it's nice to know that it's, well, especially as he'd alive and which is your vehicle uh this white prius right uh right here on the left here yes that one there we go right so we're going to park where do you want to put it though? uh yeah perfect michael lugged a heavy duty storage supply box from his trunk to mine there's a ton of LTA for Yeah. Anyway, it's all marked up. I'll tell you inside what it is. That's all of it, right? Yeah, that's all the LTA stuff. I think it's all clear. I mean, yeah, I'm sure we'll figure it out, and if we don't, we can right. get some uh, advice from you guys. Yeah. All right, well, let's, let's keep in touch. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. Have a good day. I Appreciate this. The box contained some two dozen black binders consisting of 40 plus interviews. Although there were a few missing, it was still a cornucopia of information, which included the transcripts from the three judges Redford had controversially censored. In season two, we'll scour this treasure trove of documents to uncover any hidden diamonds left on the cutting room floor as we make the case for why Leonard should go free. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Leola Bear Runner, who passed away from COVID-19. This podcast was produced, written, and directed on Tongva land by Rory Owen Delaney, James Kalin, and Andrew Fuller. Kevin McKiernan serves as our consulting producer. Thanks to Bobby Halverson for the original music we're using throughout this series. And thanks to Mike Casentini at the Network Studios for his engineering assistance, and to Peter Lauridsen and Sycamore Sound for their audio mixing. Thanks to Paulette Dote for her tireless work leading the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. Thanks to Peter Coyote for giving Leonard a voice when we only had his words on paper. Thanks to Michael Apted for documenting Leonard's story and sharing his research. And thanks, most of all, to Leonard Peltier. To get involved and help Leonard, sign the new clemency petition at freeleonardpeltier.com. For more information, 
Go to whoisleonardpeltier.info or find us on social media at Leonard underscore pod on Twitter and Instagram or facebook.com backslash Leonard podcast. This podcast is a production of Man Bites Dog Films, LLC. Free Leonard Peltier.